0: So, yeah, I don't really have a plan for this episode. I mean, I kind of just came up with one as I was walking to my laptop. But um, I don't have a plan in the sense that I have, like, uh, a script I'm going to go through or, like, any points that I really want to hit. So just a brief uh, premise. So I recently have caught myself in ignorance... I need to educate myself more not only just on the world around me, you know, as it exists and how to analyze it that way, but also um, theory and economics and really understanding the systems and institutions that exist in this country and, you know, therein kind of learning how to analyze and understand. The systems and institutions that exist elsewhere um in order to you know better understand my own personal world um so I've kind of taken a a a step back from I I don't want to say from posting I've kind of taken a step back from like subject-based posting like you're still probably going to get some live streams from me some podcasts some blogs but it's more so just going to be, like, my perspective and less, like, um, objective, like, learning or education. I hope that's okay. I mean, I don't really care if it's not because that's what I'm going to do, but I hope people still listen to this. Kind of my my journey so far uh, into educating myself, kind of what I've been doing, uh what has kind of stuck out to me shit like that um so yeah so one of the things that really caught my attention because i've always i mean i i describe myself as a leftist but beyond that i don't really have any leftist theory education i've read capital i've read state and revolution and i read the conquest of bread didn't really understand any of them um yeah, could I, you know, piece together some of what they were saying and kind of explain it out? Maybe. But do I understand it? No. So right now what I'm doing is I'm watching a YouTube series on um, the Marxist Projects channel about the fundamentals to Marxism. Because what I've never understood is like, why people make it such a point to label themselves as Marxists, to label themselves as Marxist-Leninists, to label themselves as Maoists, you know? Like, uh, a lot of people, and I've used this phrase before, say, like, I don't give a shit what some dead white guy had to say. You know, I can look at the world and figure it out myself. But that's not really the case, and that's kind of what I've been doing. And I still do that to some extent, because I feel like that, too, is very important. But I'm trying to educate myself on actual theory, on actual, like, you know, science to better understand the world and all its interconnectedness, all of its, you know, little pieces that we all have influence on and have influence on us. And, you know, the butterfly effect that some of these things have. Um, That has been extremely interesting to me. So... One of the ones that stuck out to me was Marxism. Um, my friend Troy, who I've had on the show and I've talked about a lot, uh, to the point where maybe some listeners might think I have a crush on Troy. I definitely do. He's a big, hot, sexy hunk of a man, and I wanna i just want to kiss him, you know. And me—if there's one thing I have uh, in common with the president, it's I have a hard time ki- not kissing the people I want to kiss. So, Troy, you better watch out. Um, but, uh, yeah, so my friend Troy is a Marxist, I believe. He, he might be a Marxist-Leninist. But, like, uh, I mean, I always, to, to me it always seemed, like, very close-minded to align yourself to a certain person's, you know, theory. Because the same way that religion works, you know, like, there's Lutherans, there's Baptists, there's uh, Episcopalian, there's Catholics, there's Protestants, there's all different forms of Christianity... There's all different forms of just about every religion that exists in this world but why you know like why is it that a Protestant is different than a Lutheran why is it that a Baptist is different than a Catholic well usually certain religions are based off of certain people's perspective or analysis of a certain religion for example Protestantism, which I was brought up in, uh, and most of my family still calls themselves. Uh, it was created by Martin Luther, or it was at least, you know, the, the foundational ideas of Protestantism came from the 95 Theses, which was written by Martin Luther. Um, so that's why you have Protestants. I don't really know the history behind many other Christian religions. I apologize. Um, I, I don't think I'll ever learn because... I mean, unless it's necessary or useful. I might learn just for shits and giggles, but it's probably not the first thing I'll Google for funsies, you know? But um, the same goes for political theory and economic theory, you know? Um, so I've always wondered why that is. You know, what is it that brings someone to find Marxism more appealing, to find, uh, anarchism more appealing? You know, what is it about these different theories that are more appealing to others? Um, and then about a week ago I was listening to Revolutionary Left Radio. It'd be really cool if I could ever get on that show. Uh, but, um, they were talking about the foundations of Marxism. Uh, I think his name is Brett, and then the co-host was from the Red Menace, and I can't remember their name, um, but they talked about the foundations of Marxism, you know, historical and dialectical and materialism, um, and it really struck a nerve with me. It really, you know, I listened to the episode probably three, four times before I really fucking understood what they were talking about. You guys are far too smart for me. Um, And it really stuck out to me. So I was like, fuck it. You know, I recently have talked about how I've become very ignorant um, and need to continue educating myself. Um, And, you know, no better place to start, I guess. So I started watching this Foundations of Marxism thing on YouTube that I very much am enjoying. And I'm treating it like school because I really enjoy school. Like, I've always been a... I don't want to say studious kid, but I've done well in school when I've tried. Um, and I enjoy learning. I enjoy being smart. So, you know, school is really for me. I haven't been able to go to school this semester because uh, there's, like, some fucking pandemic going on or something. I don't know. I, I haven't really been paying attention. The last eight months have literally, literally been three days, and I don't remember any of them. But, um, yes, yeah, so oh god that's so depressing uh but yeah so i was like fuck it let's uh you know let's learn this shit so i'm watching that i'm like taking straight up notes i've watched the first three episodes i think four times a piece uh gone back and kind of gone over my notes added to what i think i need to get an emphasis on you know what i mean like genuinely trying to learn this shit because I don't know where I could take a class like that. I don't know if I could take a class like that. I haven't honestly looked. I also don't know when the fuck I would be able to take a class like that or how I would be able to pay for a class like that. So, this is my school. I sit at the dining room table in my girlfriend's apartment, 8 o'clock in the morning, throw on my headphones, get a cup of coffee, get to note taking. Um. And so I've really enjoyed that. And I think that I will... I mean, I'll try my best to kind of go over what it is I've learned so far and my opinion about it. Uh, Do spare uh, corrections uh, for the sake of correcting me. If you're actually like, hey, by the way, you were really close with this, or hey, by the way, you kind of got that wrong, it's perfectly fine, I don't care, I just want you to know, that's fine. But do not, you know, message me... Or anything like that and say uh you uh you actually said that completely wrong and so uh that that proves that uh you're actually just a stupid libtard sorry like i don't have time to sit and fucking watch youtube videos all the time and theory is fucking boring you know sometimes learning is just boring and monotonous and i don't want to do it so i'm not good at it and i might get things wrong Please be nice to me because I'm very depressed. So, uh, let me go ahead and grab my notebook. I'm going to have to move my microphone. I'll probably just edit this out. I don't know. Um, let's see. That's not it. What? Okie dokie. Let's adjust this actually now that we're uh, probably going to edit this out, anyways. Let's check the phone. How's the phone doing? Alright, cool. So, uh, we're back. Sorry, I'm just gonna cut that shit out. So... Or I, I should say I did cut that shit out, so... It was nothing important. I mean... You know, nothing that... It definitely wasn't information on, uh, Hillary Clinton. Or anything like that. That's an old meme. Hope people understand that reference. Um... Yeah, so let's go through my, uh notes here that i've taken and see what it is that i can kind of go over you know what it is that i've learned that i can kind of go over and uh kind of get my perspective on it so yeah first things first in the first video they talk about uh the commodity uh because in capital the first volume uh the first little while of the book is when marx really analyzes a commodity value exchange and use value all these different things that you know build social relations and uh influence society but before you can talk about any of that you have to really truly understand what a commodity is and also its uh role in society you know its use value it's exchange value uh yeah and we'll just go through it so um The understanding of Marx's, like, political and economic ideas about capitalism requires a a grasp of commodities. So, commodity is defined as something that is bought, sold, or exchanged within a market. It has value represented as human labor, and because it contains value, people will surely economize it. Uh, So, it is connected to the social relations in capitalism. Uh, The commodity is what influences social relations, but we'll get there. Um, Although it is difficult to truly define a commodity because there are many critical parts worth noting that have all changed throughout the expansive amount of time that a commodity has existed. Uh, As the video that I watched points out, Um, A commodity has existed far before capitalism is, but its use within capitalism is what Marx is really commenting on as far as I can understand. So, uh, yeah, like I said, commodities have always existed and therefore are difficult to define uh, because they take on different social relations. So what a commodity really is is something that fulfills a human's want or need so for example what is a t-shirt um well actually before i even get there let's go through this so a commodity that doesn't meet the criteria of you know fulfilling a human's wants or need will can you know will not be traded because it it contains no value and it has no value because it will not be traded. A commodity must be valued in some way within society. It must have value. So therefore you cannot say a you know, chair designed for... Let's see, I'm trying to think of a good metaphor for this. A chair that no one could sit in, so small that you can't sit on it, has no use. And therefore it has no value because it also will not be exchanged because no one has a use for it. So what is value then? Can you see or measure value? Um. Uh, yes. you can you can see and you can measure value you just have to look at things in a different way so as marx points out uh the common denominator within every commodity every single thing that is ever bought sold or traded in a marketplace has one common denominator and that is human labor um which I believe Marx in capital refers to as congealed labor. I don't know what the difference between quote-unquote human labor and quote-unquote congealed labor is, so if anyone wants to tell me, you can tell me. Um, but that congealed labor is the determinant of value itself. So how much labor is contained within a specific commodity is what determines its value. I promise you, you will hopefully we'll get this in a second. It's a little confusing at first. I had like I said I had to listen to that episode of Revolutionary Left four times. I've watched each one of these first three videos a bunch of times. I've watched other videos on YouTube a bunch of times because this shit is confusing. You really have to think. And I'm not saying that if you don't understand it, you're not thinking. What I'm saying is you have to retrain your brain. And that is extremely difficult. And is true whenever you learn a new complicated thing. I don't care what it is. So be patient with yourself. I'm sorry if my explanation isn't doing well. Hopefully I can fix it uh, or make up for it here in a few minutes. So commodities all hold some quantity of labor and that labor is what gives the commodities value marx points out that during exchange we can see the influence that labor has on value all commodities are congealed homogeneous human labor concrete labor is the physical so congealed labor i guess because i don't write my notes like to talk about it so let me look at this here for a second so as far as i can tell by the way i wrote these notes congealed labor has to do or is made up of both concrete labor and abstract labor so concrete labor is your physical laboring hammering of the nail sewing of the button etc abstract labor we see when we exchange commodities it's an acknowledged equivalence between qualitative differences for example the difference between a bottle of wine versus a t-shirt so let's go into this we also are acknowledging the Equivalence of qualitative labor embodied in the commodities themselves. When a bottle of wine is traded for three hammers on the market, the labor used to create those commodities is treated as universal labor. So universal labor is labor which is common to all but not dependent on anyone's own personal labor give it a second so though a single hammer might have not taken as much socially necessary labor time to make we know that after enough hammers we will be able to get a bottle of wine um, within the market you can have this exchange uh, with any commodity so Because they're all made of abstract universal labor, all commodities are exchangeable. We may not trade commodity for commodity anymore, but Marx is simply explaining here. Money is equal to a universal equivalent for all other commodities. So when Marx talks about a commodity, if you you know get caught and say, well, we don't have a barter system anymore. We don't trade, say, a bottle of wine for three hammers. We trade a bottle of wine for twenty dollars, and we buy twenty dollar or we buy three hammers with twenty dollars as well, supposedly. But that's kind of the whole point of Marx is that's not how it works. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you know. A commodity, the term is what confuses you. You can envision that when Marx says, you know, three bottles uh, or three hammers is equal to one bottle of wine, you can put it in your head instead that three hammers is worth $20. Because money is a universal equivalent for commodities. And we know that because we exchange money for commodities. So, all labor is not the same quantitatively or qualitatively. So, as an example to understand this, 3 hours of skilled labor at high intensity is going to produce more value than 3 hours of unskilled labor at low intensity. Doesn't matter what you're talking about. If you're talking about building bricks or making sandwiches at Subway, if you are a skilled laborer working at high intensity, you will produce more value than someone on their first day at the job who has no fucking clue what they're doing. That much is obvious, you know? But much like the example of the bottle of uh, the bottle and... Uh, the hammers. We know that eventually, over enough time, you can create enough value to match that of the skilled high intensity laborer. So, someone who is unskilled on their first day at the job can work to produce as much labor or as much value as the skilled laborer because all commodities are equal in that they are all created by human labor, which is universal and embodied in the value of things. So again, you know, if somebody can make 30 Subway sandwiches in 3 hours, someone who makes 10 Subway sandwiches in 3 hours can make 30 Subway sandwiches. It will just take them 9 hours. This is what makes labor homogenous. All human labor is equatable at the point of exchange, though. Because, obviously, again, if it takes someone three hours to make 30 Subway sandwiches and someone nine hours to make 30 Subway sandwiches, that's not equatable. But they both made 30 Subway sandwiches. So when they go to sell those sandwiches their labor is equal because they are both selling 30 subway sandwiches i think i got that right so let's go ahead and dive a little bit deeper into value um, So yeah, uh, value explained a little bit further here. So let's consider a situation where it takes one laborer 10 hours to produce a single bowl by hand. But another laborer 8 hours to produce one bowl by hand. Now I would like to take an aside here and say that I am almost directly copying this from the Marxist Project. So if I'm doing any copyright infringement or anything like that, like I'm sorry... I don't make money on this shit or anything like that. So, if y'all want to, like, I don't know, copyright ban this episode, like, please don't because, like, I'm just trying to work through this shit in my head and this is what you taught me. Um, yeah, so, although I don't think a Marxist project YouTube channel would do some bullshit like that. But, yeah, so, takes one person ten hours to make a bowl, takes one person eight hours to make a bowl. So, now, based on what we just said, that, you know, takes someone three hours to make 30 Subway sandwiches, nine hours to make 30 Subway sandwiches, is one person's Subway sandwich more, worth more than the other at the point of exchange? Marx would say, no. So does this mean that because it takes person number one in this scenario, 10 hours, that their bowl is worth more or has more value? The answer, of course, like I just said, is no. This is not the case. What determines labor is not how much time the creation of one specific item or commodity takes, and I meant value, not labor, but the socially necessary labor time needed to produce that commodity. So in other words, if given the average amount of skill and the standard production facilities of a particular society, it takes nine hours to produce a bowl, then the value of all bowls will sit roughly at the nine-hour labor mark. So what this means is, laborer number one produces bowls at a slightly slower rate than the socially normal uh, or socially necessary average, whereas laborer two produces slightly faster than the social average. This, however, does not affect the value that the bowls they each produce hold, but it does affect the uh, how many bowls they can each produce in a given amount of time. So let's take this analogy of the bowls and work it through a scenario. So considering a 12-hour workday, laborer number one at one bowl per 10 hours can produce six bowls a week 12 hours a day times five days a week equals 60 hours a week divide that for one by one bowl per every 10 hours and you get six bowls per week however in the same amount of time laborer number two can actually produce 6.7 bowls so 12 hours a day times five days a week you get 60 hours a week Uh, that they're working you divide that time for laborer number two by eight for every one bull that they can produce and you get 6.7 bulls a week so at you know one day realistically you're looking at a 0.7 percent higher uh, production rate for laborer number two which doesn't seem like a lot you know Obviously, you can't sell 0.7% of a, or I should say 07 of a bowl. You have to sell sell a whole bowl. Um, But put this over the span of a month, and you can see that already laborer number two has produced two more bowls than laborer number one. So for that math, you go 12 hours a day times five days a week. You get the six bowls per week again. You times that by four weeks in a month, you get twenty-four bowls in a month. Uh, do that again for laborer number two at eight hours a bowl, six point seven bowls a week. You're gonna get four. You're gonna get twenty-six point eight bowls in a month. So that's two point eight more bowls that laborer number two is able to sell. Now, of course, two things. One, this is a minimalistic difference very small if you are a potter in today's day and age selling bowls you probably are not gonna make it or break it depending on selling two more bowls you know you're probably already failing because nobody can make it as a potter in late-stage capitalism Ha! funny how that works Um, but how about instead of bowls we say okay Actually, we'll work this out. We'll do we'll do a little experiment here. Let's go through. We're gonna we're gonna do this live, live on the air. So, well, I shouldn't say live. I'm recording it live, um, but I'm not posting it live, of course. So, how much does the new iPhone 12 cost? Because that's a thing now. Let's talk about that. Hmm. So, they actually don't have a price. So, we'll go. Let's say we'll do my phone. iPhone 11 Max. So, I guess I got to change that. We'll go average new iPhone 11 Max price. Um. So you're looking at, let's just, let's do a, let's do a pretty round number and let's say $1,000. So $1,000 per phone. Okay. So let's say rather than bulls, laborer number one can produce. Let's say one phone a day at eight hour work day, five day work week. Okay. Laborer number two can produce one point five phones. A day. Or, sorry, to, to make this equatable to the, the previous illustration, laborer number two can make one phone a, every, say, six hours. Uh, same thing, eight hour workday, five day work week. So if we want to do the same math that we did in the beginning, I have to look at it because I have a short-term memory loss. So we're going to do, you are talking 8-hour workday. week of course you're going to get 40 hours sadly the amount of hours most full time workers in the United States work you divide that by one phone every 8 hours you get 5 phones a week for a total of five thousand dollars worth of value produced we're not going to go into talking about surplus value and everything like that yet because I don't really understand it right now we're just going to illustrate how this you know idea works so now for number two laborer number two we gotta go eight hour work day times five days a week 40 hours a week. You divide 40 hours a week by six, or sorry, one phone every six hours. Get the math on that. Uh, 40 divided by six, you're going to get 6.667. Phones a week, which, similar to the first illustration, is a very minuscule amount of more value produced. I drew from iPhones because they're an expensive commodity and therefore it's easier to illustrate how, you know, because for me, And I I would assume for others, a bowl is not an easy example because you don't see big numbers. You don't see big difference, and therefore some people might be able to write it off in their head as fair. You know, laborer number two can produce faster than laborer number one. Laborer number one should learn how to produce bowls faster, right? But when talking about things like an iPhone, you can really see how the difference in something like this is exploitative and can be used to increase profits for very specific people at a insane rate but let's go through the finish of let's finish up this thing here so you're going to be producing six thousand six hundred and sixty seven dollars for that first week so now again we'll do the same thing as the first example so we got a 40 hour work week This is for laborer number one, 40-hour work week, one phone every eight hours equals five phones a week, which equals $5,000 in profit. Multiply that by four weeks in a month. And you're going to get $20,000 of value produced in a month. You take laborer number two, 40 hour work week, making one phone every six hours, which is equal to 6.67 phones. Or I should say 6.667 phones every week, which is equal to $6,667 of value in a week. Multiply that by four weeks in a month, and you will get four times 6667 equals... $26,668. So you have a total of one new phone's value being produced by laborer number two. Now, if you want to take that a step further, there's 52 weeks in a year, 20, or I should say, yeah, we'll do 50, 52 weeks in a year, or we could do 12 months in a year. So 20000 For laborer number one's production of value in a month, times 12, it's $240,000 of value produced. Take laborer number two at $26,668 produced in value a month. Multiply that by 12, and you get $320,016, so a total of eighty thousand and sixty dollars more value was produced in a year than labor by laborer number two. You take three hundred you take that number, divide that by six, you know how many hours it's gonna take this person to produce a phone, and you're gonna get a total of fifty-three thousand three hundred and thirty-six phones produced. You take twenty-four or two hundred and forty thousand divide that by eight. And you're only going to get 30,000 phones. Now, herein lies the problem. To some people, like I said, this is okay. To some people, they have the understanding that because laborer number two is capable of producing more phones, laborer number two should be allowed to earn more of a profit and enjoy, you know, more Wages. But if that were the case, then in a society today where you have sweatshops that are producing upwards of, let's just say for just a pretty little number, let's say there's 500 phones produced a day. So, 8 hour workday, 40 hour work week, hour week. You're talking 500 phones per every eight hours. No, I don't think this is how I want to do this. Sorry, I'm just trying to figure out how I I would do the math in my head. So, 500. Let's say instead, to to make it easier, let's say they can produce one phone every five minutes. SS sweatshop, because it's Nazi shit. So, the sweatshop can produce one phone every five minutes. How many minutes is there in an hour? You got 60 minutes equals one hour. So, one phone. How am I trying to do this? 10, 20, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 55, 60. Jesus Christ I'm I got to stop smoking before this so you would get 12 phones every hour and in one day you would get 96 phones for every eight hour work day so you're talking. 96 times 5. 96 times 5. Josh is really good at math. So you're looking at 480 phones a week. Now compare that, of course, to the 5 phones a week that Laborer number 1 was creating. And the uh, 6.667 phones laborer number two was producing every single week. And now I I would assume that someone who is listening to this who doesn't agree might say, well, you're creating a fallacy and therefore you cannot prove its truthfulness. But in due time, you will come to understand that many things that are uh, created as fallacies are actually the basis to the society you live in. So let's just work through a formula here, maybe. Yeah. So, you got 480 phones a week. So, you're talking, Jesus Christ, I think that's $480,000, 480 times a thousand equals $480,000 a week. So, $480,000 in value is produced every single week from this sweatshop. Every week. Give that a month, multiply that by 4, you're going to get $1,920,000 in value every month. Multiply that by 12, and you get $23,040,000 in value produced. Versus the... Well, I should say the one million nine hundred twenty thousand, you know, versus the twenty six thousand six hundred sixty eight and the twenty thousand, you know. So we can see here clearly, as Marx describes it, that laborer number two would be able to just themselves outproduce laborer number one in there and make more money, live a better life. But if you have a factory that can produce $480,000 worth of value in a week, laborer number one and two will be working at that factory, producing shittily made iPhones, making barely, barely a percentage of the amount of value they are producing, and are expected to be thankful for that? Hmm. So further on, we can talk about here. Maybe, maybe we'll finish up because no, we're at 44 minutes. I'll try to explain. Um, we'll we'll try to explain use value and exchange value before we close up. So this, of course, means that laborer number two will have more to sell and will therein make more money. That's that was the whole point of that analogy. Even after only one month and a two-hour difference in production time. That gives number two, laborer number two, this huge edge over laborer number one. Those differences explode, as we saw, when you look at, say, uh, the creation of modern technology, which allows some companies to outproduce others by huge margins little side note that I put in my notes here. A capitalist that sto- uh, stays ahead of the socially necessary time it takes to produce a certain commodity can make much larger profits than their competitors. So let's talk about use value versus exchange value really briefly here. So what is use value? Use value is the physical attribute of a given commodity itself. Or the ability of a commodity to meet a human's, or in our case, a consumer's needs or wants. Whereas exchange value is not physical at all. And in fact, it is the value as it is expressed by exchange itself and is measured by abstract labor. An easy way to envision this, use value has to do with the quality. Quality of a commodity, the physical attributes of a commodity, what a chair is made of, what a car drives like, you know, the quality. The quantity is the exchange value. So how many cars is one chair worth? That is exchange value. So to think about it a bit easier, let's envision a chair, a cup, and a lamp. So the quality of a chair, its appearance, its use, its materials, the ones that it's made of, are entirely different than that of the quality of the cup or the quality of the lamp. Again, what the cup is made of, its appearance, its use, what the lamp is made of, its appearance, its use. It's completely different than the other and also different than the chair. However, when considering their exchange in the market, the only difference between these commodities is how much congealed labor is embodied within them. Hence, use values differ in their quality while exchange values differ in their quantity. This is a similar example to the wine and the hammer. So one chair would equal six cups, whereas one cup would only equal 0.5 chairs and 0.3 lamps, while one lamp is equal to two chairs. You know, if that made it more confusing for you, I'm sorry. It made sense in my head. So, notice the interesting relationship between value, use value, and exchange value. They all make up the commodity itself. They are at the same time exclusive of one another and intrinsically related. They cannot exist without one another, but they are totally different. And that is the pillar of both use value versus exchange value, but also dialectics, which we are not going to dive into because holy fuck do I not understand it yet. So value cannot exist without exchange. And at the same time, if something is valueless, it cannot be exchanged. Value as a whole cannot exist without a use value. A commodity must have practical attributes in order to be exchangeable and in order to hold value of any kind. Ultimately, we see that value is not a static or universal concept. It is a constant motion defined by labor and exchange. This sense of things being in constant motion is also another pillar of dialectics because Marx sees the world as being constantly in flux. So, let me try to give my understanding of that. So, and the hard thing about stuff like this is, yeah, I understand that when you're talking to me. But ask me to go over there and explain what you just said to me to that person. And that's where the click doesn't come. And that's what the difference between knowing something and understanding something. And that's why I'm trying to re-educate my, Well, really educate myself for the first time here. Because I don't want to just know these things. be Or be able to uh, regurgitate this information. Be able to just rehash this very same statement but I want to be able to understand it to be able to apply it so when I get into conversations with people who maybe don't understand or want to argue with me I can further explain myself but also because I need to understand the world that I live in in order to properly live in it so basically the way that all this works let's start at the beginning Let's start at let's start at uh, your commodity. So, what is a commodity again? A commodity is something that is bought, sold, or exchanged in the marketplace. It has value represented as human labor, and because it contains value, people will surely economize it. So, again, a commodity is something that contains value so in order to understand that we have to understand what value is and the thing that mark said about value is that it has a common denominator whether it's a chair a cup a lamp a t-shirt a bottle of wine a hammer or a dollar bill contained with each within each one of these commodities and there's an asterisk on the dollar bill one and course if you're listening to this you understand why there is a common denominator between all of these commodities and that is the amount of congealed human labor that exists and is embodied within that given commodity so what is congealed labor congealed labor of course is the socially Necessary amount of time it takes to develop a commodity, which is the determinant of how much value said commodity contains. A lot of this, however, can only be seen and understood at the point of exchange, as Marx point out, points out. And all commodities contain congealed, homogeneous human labor, which Contains also both concrete labor and abstract labor. Concrete labor, again, is the physical labor that it takes to produce an item. The hammering of your nail, the sewing of your shirt, the brewing of your beer. That is the physical labor. The abstract labor is what we see at the point of exchange. The amount of value that is embodied within an item due to the uh, socially necessary amount of time it takes to make that item. We also exchange items based on the acknowledgement of this equivalence between the qualitative differences of a commodity. So let me try to explain that with real people words. Even though we are not doing it consciously, we acknowledge this premise every time we exchange commodities. We agree with the person selling us the pair of jeans that it is worth, say, $30. We agree to the equivalence between both $30 and a pair of jeans and therefore agree that $30 worth of labor is embodied in both the thirty dollars and the pair of jeans and therefore it is an equal exchange supposedly qualitative differences of course again are the differences between a bottle of wine and a t-shirt because we do this um and because whether we you know know it consciously or not or really understand it we are agreeing to this equivalency system every time we exchange commodities, we are also acknowledging that every single commodity is made up of some form of abstract universal labor that gives it its value. We do not trade commodity for commodity anymore. We do not trade three hammers for a bottle of wine, but we are simply explaining here how use value or sorry not use value how value exists um, although labor is universal and embodied in all commodities labor is also homogeneous it is it is equivalent and well it's not equivalent it it, it can be made equivalent. The same way that you have, the same way that, you know, three hammers is equal to one bo- bottle of wine. That's where it's equivalent. One hammer is not equal to one bottle of wine, but three hammers can get you to one bottle of wine. Okay. I think I say it myself there. So, let's explain it out again. You got the three hours skilled labor versus the three hours unskilled labor. High intensity versus low intensity. Laborer number one can produce more than laborer number two can. And therefore, laborer number one can produce more value than laborer number two can. And therefore, supposedly, laborer number one can earn a higher wage than laborer number two. Although we know that that is not how the economic system functions right now, what Marx is pointing out is how In a capitalist system it should work if we actually hold true to capitalist ideals so now of course does that mean because it takes laborer number one in a given scenario less time than it takes laborer number two to produce a commodity is laborer number two's commodity worth more because it had taken more time and therefore contains more labor Again, no. Value is predicated on a socially necessary amount of time to produce a commodity. So if given the proper training and skills that it takes to build a bowl, the proper equipment and environment that it takes to build a bowl, and the proper space that it takes to sell said bowl, say it takes nine hours to produce a bowl that perfect scenario is what value is based off of so let's you can change that to a cup if it takes two hours to produce a cup in the perfect scenario where all the needs are taken care of for the production of the cup if it takes two hours to make a cup that's the socially necessary time However, we know that it does not necessarily take every person who would try to make a cup two hours to make a cup. If you don't have the products you need to make a cup, if you don't know how to make a cup, if you don't have the money to make a cup. Obviously, this is all where problems lie. But that's what value is based off of. So if it takes ten hours for one person to produce one bowl, and it takes eight hours for another person to produce one bowl then what their value actually is based off of is not the amount of time it took them personally to produce that bowl, but how long the socially necessary amount of time takes to produce a bowl. So we did the thought experiment where we went over to see how more value can be produced given certain uh, situations or circumstances. And therefore will allow for one person to make more money than another. And this, of course, is very dangerous in a time where technology is so advanced that we can build a car. I think the average amount of time it takes to build a Honda Civic is like, I want to say like three hours in total. But if you and I were to go and build a Honda Civic and sell it, we would have to sell it for more because it took us more time and more money to produce. But we wouldn't get that same money. And the value is the same. Because according to our society, the socially necessary time it takes to build a Honda Civic is for three hours. So after three hours, all the value we're producing doesn't matter. We all, And that's surplus value. But again, we're not going to get into that. We're only going to get what the social you know, necessary amount of time is valued at we're only gonna get say $20,000 even though it took us a year and a half we're only gonna get $20,000 um then we talked about exchange value versus use value so use value is the physical attribute of a given commodity itself how it meets a human's needs or wants Exchange value has nothing to do with the physical attributes of a commodity whatsoever. It is the value as it is expressed by exchanging that item, or commodity, I should say, and is measured by abstract labor. So again, use value has to do with the quality of a commodity, what it is made of, its physical attributes. The exchange value has to do with the quantity. How many of something else is one of these things worth? So you got a chair, a cup, and a lamp. The quality of the chair, what it's made of, its appearance, how, how it's used, is different than the cup and the lamp. However, when considering the exchange of these items, the only difference is between how much labor is embodied in them because they all have use value and therefore they are all equivalent because again if 6 cups is equal to 1 chair and 1 cup is equal to 0.3 lamps and 1 lamp is equal to 2 chairs they are all equivalent you get enough cups you can get a chair you get enough chairs you can get a lamp you get enough or I should say you get enough lamps you can get a chair and then with a chair, you can get as many cups as lamps, and lamps as your heart would desire. That's exchange value. So when exchanged, the only difference, again, is the amount of labor that is embodied in them. And therefore, use value differs here in the quality, while exchange value differs in the quantity. Finally, let's talk about the interesting relationship between value, exchange value, and use value. They are all different. Exchange value is not the same as value. And value is not the same as use value. And use value is not the same as exchange value. But they all have to exist for any of them to exist. If you cannot in if you cannot exchange an item, then it only has use value. If you cannot use an item, then it does not have any value. And if it does not have value, according to Marx, it is not considered a commodity. So a commodity must have Practical attributes in order to be exchangeable and in order to hold value of any kind. Ultimately, we see that value is not a static or universal concept. One thing is not necessarily valued at the same value all the time, everywhere, every time you try to exchange it. It's in constant motion and is defined by both labor and exchange. I hope any of that made any sense to you. Um, This has definitely opened my eyes to a lot already. I've also learned about uh, commodity uh, fetishism and I'm beginning to learn about surplus value And labor. So we'll get there. I think what I'll probably do is I'll turn the podcast or the live stream into an educational series for now uh, until I think that anything in the world is worth my commenting on uh, and until I think I am at a point where I am educated enough to comment on it. Now, this does not, of course, mean that I won't post stuff where I am commenting on shit, but I'm going to try to refrain from giving a egotistical, uh, concrete analysis of something. Um, I'm just going to kind of speculate. And just know that what I'm saying, of course, is based in really um, my understanding, and my understanding is not the most educated. So if I'm wrong, I apologize, correct me, we will move on. Or we can have a discussion, which I plan on doing very soon. Uh, Tomorrow, I plan on having uh, Eddie Liger Smith, I believe. Uh, His Twitter, or Twitter, his TikTok name is. Let me go. Let me go there and search it. So we got Eddie Liger. Yeah, Eddie Liger Smith is his TikTok. Go ahead and give him a follow we're going to have him on the show tomorrow. Uh he also uh has a website called Midwestern Marx where he uh, posts articles. They have an extensive educational uh library. Uh and I'm just excited to have him on tomorrow. So we'll have some discussions there. And then coming up soon I also am planning on having my friend Matt on to kind of talk about liberalism. Uh he himself is a self-described liberal uh and would like to come on the show and have a discussion with me about liberalism uh which of course i'd love to do uh since i'm trying to rebrand myself and educate myself uh i'm hoping that these discussions will be you know educational ones and will help me down the road of being a much more informed intelligent and uh analytical person um But I'm still going to be a dick, and this is still going to be a funny show. It's just sometimes we're going to do educational shit. So, yeah. Hope you like the show. If you're still listening, you're a true comrade. I love you, and I send all my blessings to you. (laughs) Um, Whatever that means. But uh, if you don't already, go ahead and follow me on social medias. I have Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok all at annoying question boy um i also uh do a blog which you can find at annoying question boy spelt just like that no caps no spaces uh dot blog spot b-l-o-g-s-p-o-t dot com and i also have a youtube channel which i will probably be making a slideshow and making my own version of the youtube video that i watched myself that will probably be much worse uh again all of this information is thanks to the marxist project on youtube you can find them at the marxist project on youtube the video series that I watched is titled The Fundamentals of Marxism and is a 12-video series. Go ahead and give that a watch. I think they, they do a great job explaining all this. They do a great job illustrating it. I think that if anyone is new to Marxism or Marxist thought, uh, you should, for understanding purposes, go over and watch their series on the Marxist Projects channel. Uh, but again, as always, I hope everyone is staying safe staying healthy, uh, hating cops, and ultimately wanting a uh, leftist revolution to take over uh, as a parody because that would be hysterical. So I hope everyone has a good one, and we'll see you next time. Peace out.